This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. I'm Helen Farmer and it's fantastic to have you with us on the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. We have got some experts for you. Circa Coyle, CV writer extraordinaire, career coach was on hand talking about her top tips for what to do and not do when creating a good resume. Nabila Munshi was talking about myths and tips when it comes to using social media for your small business. And speaking of businesses, a local entrepreneur is using coffee waste to produce gourmet mushrooms, but how? Plus, as ever, Ludmilla Malava on hand for your free legal clinic with Halloween around the corner. What are the laws on sorcery in the UAE? And what can you do to protect yourself if you think your husband is cheating and you're heading for divorce? And after speaking to many an expert over the last couple of weeks, plus a few friends too, it seems like everyone is burnt out. What did an expert psychiatrist have to say on the topic? Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Studies show you only have 7.5 seconds to grab a hiring manager's attention when they read your resume for the first time. How can you make it count? We have brought in professional CV writer, money coach, expat career coach, Sir Coyle, to help us explain a little bit about where so many of us might be going wrong. So I want you to, I want you to start off by getting personal. What's, what's your big pet peeve when you see a CV or a resume, depending, depending on your passport, what, what really gets your, your, your jaw clenched? I've got a few pet peeves. <laughs> uh, the first one would be sometimes when people use very fancy, like colourful, designy CVs. And actually, if you're applying to a job and it's got an ATS, the applicant tracking system, it may not detect it. So I would say keep it simple, keep it concise, keep it very clear, easy to read. Like you said, 7.5 seconds. We don't be looking for the information. Yeah, Hiring managers like, do that's, not want that's that. A, that's a lovely pie chart and clip art. Yeah. But as you say, if that if that's be, the, the keywords aren't being picked out, someone's Absolutely. having to decipher. It's too busy. It's too yeah. crowded, cluttered. You know, keep it simple, keep it really clear and obvious. Like, make sure that everything that you need to sell yourself is there, easy to read at the top of your CV, and then that you've increased your chance of being called back. Another pet peeve would be as well, that saying, ask not what your country can do for you, what you can do for your country. Same as when you're applying for a job. Uh, you're not, it's not the time to start saying, I want to work here because mm-hmm. of my career dreams and my this. It is. You would yes. be lucky to have me because. Yes. <laughs> and it's that it's idea. It's like, here's why you should hire me. Here's why I'm so amazing. So it's just that little distinction mm-hmm. as to make sure that you're showing the school or the school or the company why they should employ you. You know, not necessarily what you want to gain from it. Mm-hmm. Also bad spelling. I was just going to say oh, it. 100%. The grammar, the spelling, that shows a lack of attention to detail. It shows a lack of care really go through Grammarly. Grammarly is free and it's amazing. You just put it through and just double check everything. Now, according to Harvard resume experts, mm-hmm. um, your chances of getting noticed are much higher when you use what they call strong, actionable yeah, and confident verbs. verbs. Mm-hmm. So can you give us some examples of that? Absolutely. So a good example would be anywhere where you've maybe like seen took initiative and seen an issue. So identified some kind of issue and as a result you did this and here was the impact. Also showing that you can take responsibility. So the idea that you establish something, you like started something, mm-hmm. you led something. Um, also that you can show that you're a team, you collaborate, you also help others. So mentored, coached, trained, any of those sort of to really send that message that you're an excellent employee. And rather than I was responsible for blah, blah, uh, blah. Absolutely. So yeah. as you say, kind of initiated, yeah. you know, verified, created. Yeah. Absolutely. That's what you thought Especially as well, it's, it kind of shows the confidence as well. Mm. Like, I know I'm good at this. I know I did this. I'm not being modest. It's not a well, time to be modest. I think that's a bit of a trap that so many of us fall into, actually, mm. that, oh, I couldn't possibly say that yes. I achieved X, Y, Z. No, like, this is this is the time to shine. What about those kind of really measurable, quantifiable numbers, you mm. know, X percent growth, that kind of thing? So important. Like, with anything, you need to show evidence. Um, because we can all look at a job description and, you know, use it. Of course, inspiration, I really, I really recommend words. using the keywords 100%. But at the same time, you did this, but what was the impact? Mm-hmm. Why did you do it? How did you do it? And what was the impact? And that's why we need to collect, you know, collect the evidence. Like what, what did you boost? Again, the, the power verbs. What did you increase? If it's something where you saved the company money, you reduced the budget by. Mm-hmm. So really keep track of your 
of, of the amazing results and outcomes you get. Well, that's an interesting point in terms of keeping track because I'm sure I'm not the only one that my kind of CV is a bit of just a dusty document that sits on my desktop. It is. Whereas I think people that are really committed to mm. getting a, a, another job, getting a, a new job, getting a job, you know, keeping track of those achievements and then it becomes this kind of living, breathing document rather than something like, oh, no, I've got to got to send it over I suppose I just better change a few dates that's such a great point actually and in in keeping following on from that living breathing document when you do any kind of professional development or training add it to it straight away you know some people you know do a lot of training they do a lot of online courses and they forget to add it and Mm. then also what I would say is show the impact of that training that professional development on your work what did you take from that? What did you implement? Mm-hmm. And what was the positive impact of that? You know? So Kakoil is with us in the studio. We're going to go to the text line next. As I said, if you want to be anonymous, that's absolutely fine. Niall, however, saying, I did my degree in the 90s. Do I still mention it? Um, and Asma wants to know, should I put MA after my name at the top or is that just pretentious? We'll find out next for you. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. In the studio this afternoon, Sir Coyle, we are talking CVs, um, getting yours in great working order to land that dream job, make that company realise just how lucky they are to have you. And we're going to go to the text line. Are you ready for a bit of a quick fire round? Absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. Um, Niall has been in touch saying, um, hi both, I did my degree in the 90s. Do I still mention it? And hobbies, does anybody care? Will I sound boring if I truthfully say I like cooking and running? (laughs) Great question. Um, I would, particularly for the UAE, which is, they are, they love their qualifications. I would say definitely keep in your degree, um, for sure, in your education section. Um, What I actually would say, and it's going back to what we were talking about, the 7.5 seconds, Mm -hmm. you want to have all the information at the top of the CV. And I know, I think Asma asked the question, I highly recommend your name and I would actually have your qualifications. So straight away, they can see you're fully qualified. And then underneath that, your contact details to make sure you can be contactable, make sure LinkedIn's up to date. Oh God, this is another a, thing I need to do. A professional sounding email, <laughs> not something from like AOL or oh, back in the day, XXX. The, lo- the, lovely, the lovely Helen or Hotmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And then also then your key skills. Um, in terms of interests, I would say you definitely can. I wouldn't give too much unless it's relevant to the job. Mm-hmm. A one liner you know, interest, cooking, etc. is fine. I also think that that can be a way of perhaps bonding with somebody. So I don't know, maybe mm. it's, you know, completed Tough Mudder, you know, or whatever it, whatever it is, rather than being like, I like having a jog, you know. 100%. Absolutely make it personalised. Mm. And if you're really being strategic, you can always, if you're, for example, you follow the company <gasps> on the social media or you follow them on LinkedIn Stalker or the person that. who you're going to, who's going to be reading it. Do a bit of work but and see what they like. Maybe you've don't, interest. Don't fall into the trap interest. of going, you know, keen sailor in case yeah. they go, come out for yes. No. Always be truthful. I can't <laughs> stress that enough. <laughs> no. Right. Never. As you said, I had a message from Asma saying, please help. I've been job hunting on and off for almost two years. I can never get interviews. Um, there's so much advice about CVs. It's all conflicting. Should I put MA after my um, name at the top or is that pretentious? And a recruiter told me that a personal statement at the beginning is utterly pointless. I stuck to that for a while. Is he right? I would say, first of all, definitely put the MA. It's never pretentious. We are selling ourselves as the best candidate possible. Never feel you're bragging. It's not a time to be modest. Okay, so showcase. It's all true. So showcase it and really highlight, emphasize it. So definitely, like I said, have all your qualifications. Um, I would say it's more important to have like your key skills bullet pointed. Um, what, would you, what, what would you put into, what would you count as a, a key skill? So it would be anything that will experience you've had. Keywords that I've mentioned in the job ad, you know, to show that you have that straight away. Um, Any kind of experience, like technical experience with certain like softwares or Mm -hmm. we've all been working online. What are we familiar with? Is it Apple, Google, etc. Also some soft skills, you know, show that also your team player is very important. Um, Anything extra if you're like bilingual, that's always great to add in there too. I'd have maybe 10 to 12 bullet pointed and then put them in like three columns. So it only takes a certain section of the page. I don't necessarily think having the personal statement, I don't think it's redundant. I think it's important. I think the skills are more important. Mm-hmm. However, a line or two about a little in two, two sentences to say, what, you know, who you are, your experience so far, and maybe your goal that you would like to achieve with the company, for example, what you can bring. I don't think it's any harm at all, especially if you've 
research the company and the business, you know their mission, you know their values, and you reflect that in your mm. personal statement. You want to be the answer to their problems. Absolutely. Hi, Master's going, um, hi, just tuned in, Name the, missed the name of the guest. Um, joining us now mm-hmm. is Circa Coyle, spelled very confusingly, I'm not yes. going to lie. Irish spelling. <laughs> S-O-R-C-H-A. Um, anonymous message here saying, is the CV writing or presentation um, different for jobs in different countries? For example, we've worked here in the UAE for 20 years. Would we need to take extra precaution regarding layout or any changes required when applying for jobs in, say, Australia? I would say not really. It's really the similar layout, like we said, catching the attention at the beginning of the CV. However, what I would do is I would make sure that you explain any acronyms that are UAE specific. And also use the wording or use terminology that's common in in Australia, for example, to reflect that. Mm -hmm. But overall, it really is quite similar. But it's really important, again, to tailor it for the job you're applying to. So there will be changes, but not massive in terms of structure. This is, I think, a really common pitfall, especially if you lose your job suddenly. And then you're like, okay, scattergun approach. I'm going to send my CV to everyone I've ever met and every job that's out Mm -hmm. there. and, And that's completely understandable. Yes, of course. But it's not necessarily going to yield the results or the job of your dreams. Absolutely not. And it is so important to tailor it. Like every single, and I'm very experienced. I've worked with hundreds of clients and everything. And I still would tailor, even if I create an outstanding CV and cover letter for them, I still tailor it every time. And I'll send them a video to show them how to do it too. It's so important because like we said, you're at that stage where, you know, you're showing you're showing them what you can do for them. And again, that attention to detail, it shows passion. Mm-hmm. It shows that you've taken interest. You've looked beyond the job description. And, and also, if you do just shoot off lots of emails, you don't hear back. It really, really affects your confidence. I can really demotivate you. So you're better off selecting like four or five and really honing on, on, in on them. Um, and now, we had a, a big chat last week about why teachers are stressed out, dropping out burning out and a big part of what you do is actually career coaching for teachers you used to be a teacher yourself Mm. so I'm I'm just curious if you're able to share some of the transferable skills that teachers might be able to identify in themselves and offer some ideas some you know industries or roles where you've seen ex-teachers have success absolutely first of all teachers have so many amazing transferable skills I cannot stress that enough Um, and what I would even go even further to say is because as teachers, we do so many roles and have so many duties. We actually have dozens and dozens of skills. So I would really say to someone is to hone in, not list all your skills, absolutely, but also list in what you love. Because in your next career, you want it to be something that you really love <laughs> and enjoy. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you want absolutely. to do it. Absolutely. <laughs> it may not like light, like light, light up your passion. So there's so many. So what I would say is really think about what you love about teaching. So what you do every day, what you love what you're good at. So that's kind of sweet spot where it's something that you love, something that you're strong, it's a strength and also something that people want. They'll pay you to do. And pay you to do, exactly. So if, for example, you love, like we'll say, making um, resources, there's so many jobs where you can do like uh, curriculum design and they're in also in corporate roles, not just in like universities, etc. Um, you could also, if you love tech, there's so many roles in there. A lot of teachers are going into like UX design. So mm-hmm. it's where you like test um, how an app is user experience. Um, there's also uh, learning and development roles, again, in, in so many corporates. So you're still teaching and training, but in a different context. Teachers you, you, also, you haven't got 28 kids in the class. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> teachers also make great, um, I'd say, coaches too. It's that idea of active listening, mentoring. Um, so there's so many, like if it's you're into like, depending on what aspect of teaching that you, are, you really love. For any teachers who might want a bit of, you know, hand-holding advice, mm-hmm. confidence boost, as you say, or indeed anyone that's looking for a bit of a, not even a polish, a total CV mm-hmm. overhaul, mm-hmm. Like, what's the best way of getting in touch? Oh, amazing. Yeah, um, I'm on Instagram at uh, circacoil underscore E-E-T and it's S-O-R-C-H-A, apologies. And I can send you the link if yeah, you need it. Yeah, I think so. Uh, <laughs> rlcircacoil.com. That would Thank be amazing. Thank you so, so much. I feel like we've any scratch the surface. We'd love to come back and do another deep dive into resumes because I feel like at the minute everyone needs to be putting their best face forward mm, and absolutely. as you say, having, having all the confidence in their abilities. Thank you yeah. so, so much. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We are busting myths, taking names when it comes to social media and small business. Now, any entrepreneur or startup will tell you that 
when you uh, when you start out, you're doing everything. You're doing HR, you're doing PR, and now you've got to do social media on top of it. How can you protect your own mental health, but also get the traction that you need to build your business? Well, who better to ask than the Bila Munshi, a business mentor and founder of Bloom Marketing Studios, talking social media for business, which is obviously something that you do yourself. So you're talking about this in terms of advising people, but presumably you take your own advice too. Yes, I do. I totally do. Good. Tell us a little bit about some of, I guess, the myths or misconceptions that you have heard or you come up against with clients when it comes to using social media to build a business. I think a lot of times people think that you have to always be online and always be posting. um, And that's certainly not true. And then also that you just have to keep posting a lot of content. So So kind of quantity over quality? Yes, exactly. I think it's better, especially when you're using it for a business. So I think a lot of people get confused with using Instagram as an influencer or as a business. Mm -hmm. So if you're a business, you want to make sure that you're providing quality to to your um, audience. What about getting caught up in the numbers? Um, You've spoken in the past about what you call vanity metrics. What are those? So basically, vanity metrics are, you know, just worrying so much about likes, followers, and um, how many people are watching your story. And it's really, really nerve wracking for a lot of my clients. And I see this all the time. But I always keep telling them that it doesn't actually matter how many followers you have, because there could be somebody else who's bought followers, to be honest. Totally. Very possible indeed. But yes, and you know, it is a measurable, but there are other ways of measuring your kind of quote unquote success as a business on social media. How do you tend to adjust their priorities? So I usually try to tell my clients to measure in terms of sales calls booked or how many people are getting on their email list and just actual tangible things that help their business rather than yes, exactly. Conversions. Okay. Okay. Um, you, I think for a lot of people, it's quite a, it's quite scary as a business or an entrepreneur to suddenly have to put yourself out there. It is very scary. That's it, why people don't want to get it wrong. So yes. how can people kind of overcome that barrier of not wanting to look silly or write something incorrect or, you know, waste their time, I guess? I think you have to stop taking it so seriously and then remember that it is called social media. So basically, you just have to be a little more social, connect with the people. And it starts always small as well. So when you, whenever you even start working on your business Instagram, mm-hmm. you first follow your family and your friends, and they might recommend you to someone else. And then you build your network from there. And I think just taking off the pressure from yourself about what people are going to say or anything and just letting yourself be a beginner. What about where to spend your time in terms of the different platforms? Anything that's been useful for clients in the past in terms of, do you know what? This is what this is your goal. Twitter's not going to do that for you. Or, you know, this is your goal. You know, why aren't you on LinkedIn and more active? How, how do you help people narrow it down? Exactly. So you kind of think about their target audience. So who is their ideal customer? And who are they trying to target? And then we figure out where they're spending most of their time. And then that's where we spend most of the time um, building our content, their authority, their presence. Mm-hmm. I think I think a lot of people are frustrated with Instagram right now in terms of the slow growth, whereas TikTok is you know, going a bit a bit crazy. What's your perception on this? But you still get reels. I think reels still have a very good potential of going viral. I've seen like a lot of my clients' reels go viral. And I think since the reels came into play, it's a lot more easier to grow on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I'm not finding that. (laughs) (laughs) But you do good, though. I've seen your Instagram. Can you imagine? I walked in here and I said, I've seen you on Instagram. (laughs) Well, because we were in Georgia at the same time, which you've learned on Instagram. No, listen, I think for me, I'm, you know, I'm not a business, but I, I genuinely really enjoy some aspects of social media. But I've also learned a few hard lessons along the way when it comes to protecting my own mental health on it as well. And I think whether we're talking about businesses or we're talking about individuals, having some boundaries in place, understanding that comparison is the thief of joy is yes. is really crucial because you must get that from businesses a lot being like god that you know this this competitor is doing amazing and we feel like we're left in the dust but there's so many other risks as well for instagram because a lot of my clients get very self-conscious um i know this and i i love my clients and um but they get very self-conscious they're like oh should we post this should we not post this we don't look this way um 
Why is this other competitor doing so much better? You're always comparing, oh, they must be getting so much more business. But I feel as if you have to internalize the fact that you're never getting the full story. Because mm-hmm. on social media, you might see this person and they might have completely edited their pictures. Might, almost definitely have. <laughs> yes, exactly. Everyone does. And so you should n- never let it get to you and be like, oh my God, I don't have this body type. So I can't go on and speak for my business. Um, also, unfollow people that make you feel like that. Yes, mute. I always mute. like mute. That's that's. I that's don't like to, <laughs> because I feel like when you unfollow people, take if you know them, they take it very personally, okay. or you're building like some kind of enemies around you. Mute. Yes. Um, one last question before I let you let you go. Rob's asking, what about when to post? What time? How do you help clients with that? So basically, you can find that in your insights. So in your insights, you can see your followers. And then when you go in there, you can scroll down all the way down and then you'll see the most active times for your followers. And mostly I've noticed for all my clients that are based in Dubai, it's around 6 p.m. Same for me. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. All of us are on Instagram at 6 p.m. I don't think I am. I'm driving home. I'm definitely not, just by the way, definitely not on my phone on Instagram when I'm driving down Shakeside Road. But yeah, that is interesting. But it's also a bit of trial and error. Try posting at different times. See what what resonates in different contexts sometimes. Um, And lastly, um, no name on this one, saying, um, which companies do you enjoy working with? I don't know. I mean, what what about industries or where's your kind of passion? Oh, I love this question because I do have a lot of clients that are doing a lot of different things. And I love all of them because I just love that mostly it's small businesses. So I feel their passion and I love to help them grow. And you can see, you can affect real change with people that you care about. Exactly. I work so closely with them as well. So I can see when their wins are coming through and it's so exciting. I think, but hands down, one of my favorite industries is wellness because I'm very into it. So I get to learn so much more and then I get free tickets to events. (laughs) (laughs) But it's also really fun. Well, if you do want details of Bloom, by all means, do get in touch. We're very happy to share Nabila's details. Um, If you want to reach out, get a bit of advice, a bit of coaching around your small business and social media too. And most importantly, keeping your sanity. Nabila, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Dubai is a coffee-loving city, but what happens after you finish your cup? We're meeting now a social enterprise who is aiming to repurpose, wait for it, coffee waste to produce, wait for it, gourmet mushrooms. And Namika is with us today, the founder of Bean and Beyond. Are you a coffee lover yourself? Sort of. I mean, <laughs> I'm more of a tea lover, but uh, coffee is what I have every day because of my education in the US. So, yeah. Well, and also because of what you do now. Exactly. So, tell us a little bit before we talk about the solution that you're providing and, and why. Can you kind of outline for us how much waste is actually produced from making a cup of coffee? So if you make a cup of coffee in an espresso machine, you get about 25 to 30 grams of coffee waste depending on the size of your cup now if you take that and uh, let's say take one cafe and if the cafe has about 100 you know visitors in a day that adds up to about two and a half to three kgs of coffee per day now imagine if we scale that up to like let's say thousand plus cafes in just dubai i'm not even counting the other emirates that can that can add up to 2,500 to 3,000 kgs just in a single day. And this is waste? This is coffee waste. And what has historically been that used for or put? What happens to it? So because in Dubai, we don't normally segregate waste. There's no law for it. So most of it ends up in the landfill unless, uh, you know, a cafe in particular wants to, you know, give the coffee grounds away to customers who are willing to use them in their garden. (laughs) It's funny you should say that because my husband um, went into work the day with this absolutely enormous glass jar. And I was like, what are you doing with that? And he's like, I've spoken to the barista downstairs and he's going to put the leftover coffee in there so we can put it in the compost. I was like, (laughs) yeah, you say awesome. I'm like, okay. He's also also been Googling the best worms for apparently. Apparently for compost, red red wigglers. Are, are yeah, 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 exactly. You know, you I'm, mentioned you need Google. to meet him. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> so you mentioned Google. You know, this project was started by just us googling different ways of how to recycle coffee grounds. You know, we explored what other uh, pe- pe- 
people from other countries are doing and we saw you know there are very simple low tech methods by which we could you know recycle these coffee grounds instead of you know letting them being dumped in the landfill so what are you doing with them i mentioned gourmet mushrooms talk us through the process and where this happens okay so basically we collect these coffee grounds from cafes daily because we want them fresh we don't want them contaminated with bacteria and we use these coffee grounds to prepare a soil on which the oyster mushrooms then grow so we chose oyster mushrooms specifically because uh, they can eat uh, the root structure of oyster mushrooms can eat all kinds of organic waste not just coffee grounds you can say uh, you know orange peels or anything that is not contaminated with any other bacteria it can just consume and then grow out of it so it's like a wonder product if you i would say and where are you doing this so we are based in dip uh, we have like this small farm over there inside a warehouse so we have these climate controlled rooms in which we set up our farm and that's where the growing happens so you're presumably running i mean it's a social enterprise as i said but you you're also selling the mushrooms exactly we we just got our license in september and then we started selling to restaurants and meal plan companies i love this so it really is it, you really are kind of closing the loop then bringing exactly. bringing it back to the cafes yeah. and restaurants so yeah. so how many are you working with right now how many cafes so we have about uh, Uh, 12 cafes that we work with 10 of which are starbucks and then we have raw coffee company in fact raw coffee company was our first uh, roastery you know that decided to work with us that's such great in guys, fact though. kim uh, i met kim jan 2021 when i proposed this idea and i just told her you know like i have this idea of a coffee waste and you know will you be able to help me out and she didn't hesitate even once and imagine i contacted her one year later and she was still willing to work with me on the project and as she's been absolutely fantastic well it does work. take a certain kind of mind and business person to think well yeah that is ridiculous that we're throwing out this and exactly. what if what if what if exactly. and, and and build build on your expertise you studied business and environmental studies um in in the states and have brought that back here to dubai um what about us at home what could we be doing at home in in this space so um there are a couple of things you could do if you live in an apartment and you know you don't have a garden or anything then uh, whatever coffee grounds are left over you could sprinkle them on the uh, on your plants on the top soil of your plants but don't put too much you should be able to see the top soil but you can just sprinkle a little and eventually it'll act as a fertilizer for your plants that's one option if you have like a backyard or a garden or something then the best option would be to use it as a mulch like we use it in indoor plants or compost it because you must compost the coffee grounds before using them otherwise the high nitrogen and caffeine content will kill the plants so don't directly use them on your plants you can you you'd be better off composting and then using them i'm going to put you in touch with mr farmer <laughs> um, you're doing some diy boxes as well mark tell us a little bit about that uh, we're still working on it because these diy boxes work when the temperatures are below 25 degree oh, come so this on, is 25 degrees <laughs> so if if you live if you live in apartments where you know the ac is on and it's around 24 25 degrees then the diy boxes could work but we're working on strains that can accommodate higher temperatures as well so eventually you know can uh, consumers in dubai can grow their own mushrooms at home i think you're doing an incredible job here Thank and you. it just as i said it takes a certain kind of brain to solve these problems in a really creative and in this point of course environmentally friendly way what are your hopes for the future for bean and beyond what what does what does success look like Okay so we want to we are in expansion mode right now we're going to like set up a bigger facility and then eventually we want to be open to a farm visit so we can educate the local public about how we are you know recycling the coffee waste and realizing you know how much waste can just one source of you know consumption create so then you know that could spark up conversation about waste and you know people may be more mindful what the way they consume and the way they dispose their waste and i even think you know this conversation today if even one person goes into the coffee shop and that says what happens to the waste exactly ask that question raise raise that concern yeah. and then hopefully more people getting in touch with you i hope so how can people reach you namika so we have an instagram handle called bean and beyond farm So do you, would you like me to spell yeah, it out? Yeah, go for it. So it's B E A N that's coffee bean bean uh, and A N D beyond B E Y O N D farm F A R. If you would like that to explore more about this topic or indeed maybe you are a cafe owner or a regular in a coffee shop and think do you know what 
that's a great idea um, because I think you're onto something here. I really do. And uh, Omar, one of my favourite listeners who I've missed last week, he's been away, saying, um, would love to get in touch with her. We do a lot of fresh produce. We'll definitely like to see how we can bring their products to all of our clients as well. Oh, so wow. I will connect <laughs> you guys. Thank you so Thank much, you so Mark. Much. I really appreciate <laughs> it. Fantastic to hear such such bright ideas and uh, all the very best for the future for you. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. If you would like the details of Bean and Beyond, just drop me a little line. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Joining us live on the line is Ludmilla Yamalova, who's going to be helping us look behind the headlines, talking about what's on your mind as well. So don't hesitate to get in touch if you want to get her advice, a bit of a steer, a bit of an action plan, or maybe just some peace of mind. 4001. You can use your ARN player app and you've got your WhatsApp as well. The, re- the reason I'm about to burst out laughing is I think Liz Miller's just put a witch's hat on. Have you? <laughs> I can't hear you and you're wearing a witch's hat. It's, 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 it's October 24th, not April Fool's. Liz Miller, what's going on? <laughs> Getting ready for the Halloween spirit. <laughs> Got my nails done and uh, just been updating my legal knowledge on the UAE's stance on sorcery, witchcraft, and black magic and uh, costumes. So, voila! I love that you're really leaning into this topic, Liv Miller. We are talking sorcery. <laughs> Halloween, of course, around the corner, but there are some things that happen all year round that might not necessarily be fully legal. Can you explain? how the law defines sorcery here in the UAE. Yes, uh, so sorcery is in fact a real thing in the UAE in terms of, um, uh, in terms of a crime, so to speak. Uh, so um, uh, let me, so the way, so basically, so, so all, long story short, sorcery is illegal and it's illegal under the UAE crime and punishment law and in particular so the new law. Uh, which previously sorcery had also been outlawed by the previous penal code. And so the law has since been updated and the same kind of provisions and articles made it into the new version of the law. And those who are, for those who are curious, those are articles 366 and 367. And they are uh, uh, specifically on uh, on uh, sorcery and witchcraft. But um, the way sorcery is defined under the law is basically anything that involves deception on the one hand, and also that's done with the purpose of exploiting or, or inflicting damage to a third party. Uh, so it's you know it's it's an actual so the word sorcery does exist in the language of the law, but the definition are very much specific to ultimately ill intent, if you will, or it's damaging someone's mind or soul. Uh, with and, and with intention to inflict damage or harm. Okay, uh, can I get some clarity? Because a few wellness places, um, wellness places, um, for it's not, not very good to do the old in, inverted commas when you're on the radio, but I'm hoping you can get that from my tone, um, offer what I would kind of deem perhaps something that would come under that category in terms of tarot card reading, um, things like that. Is this a bit of a grey area? Well, I would say no, because the from and I just reread the articles just uh, before before this call. And so and there's an there's the main article and there is a subset of sub um, sub provisions to the article. And each one of them ultimately has a, a qualifying concept, uh, which is the intent, the under the overarching or underlying intent of these sort of actions. So. What is illegal is any type of sorcery, deception um, uh, that is done for the purpose of exploiting or inflicting damage to a third party. So I'd say if you're talking about tarot card reading, if it doesn't inflict any kind of damage or harm on a third party, then, you know, I I don't see how this would be illegal. I mean, some of the other concepts in the law, for example, is influencing the body, heart, mind or will again. But what? And it. It's quite interesting. It's directly or indirectly with it, with the whether the effect is real or illusion. But again, the under the overarching concept is just with the purpose of harming the person and their mind and, and soul. So I'd say you know a tarot card reading could potentially perhaps be qualified as sorcery if it's done with the sort of ill intent or malicious intent and uh, 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 kind of as an overarching concept. Okay. All right. If you'd like any um, clarification on that before you... But the penalty, plan, uh, yeah, the penalty I was say, is pretty... How seriously is this taken, Ludmilla? 
It's it's serious. It's so the penalties are a jail sentence and it's not an and or it's a jail sentence and a fine of not less than fifty thousand dirhams. So and by the way, this also includes, for example, anyone who provides assistance to another person in the acts of like deception or, or sorcery, and which among other things, includes bringing and importing or bringing into the state or even possessing, acquiring or disposing of any books, talismans or materials or tools provided for the acts of deception and sorcery. So um, and, and anybody ultimately who promotes in any way deception or, or sorcery is uh, is equally uh, subject to this law. So, uh, for example, if you were to bring certain tools that usually are associated with sorcery or black magic or some kind of um, other deceptive practices. If you, even for somebody else, if you carry those books or cards or other kind of tools in your suitcase coming into the UAE, you could be committing a crime. Oh, okay. Be, be aware ahead of Halloween if you've got any big plans for voodoo dolls, etc. Uh, but if you do need clarification, in all seriousness, please do get in touch. And um, we are going to go to the text line next. A message here saying, if I get the golden visa with a property, will I get recalled if I sell in three years' time? Leon wants to know how he can extend his visa after termination. Um, and no name on this message. And as I always say, if you'd rather be anonymous, it's absolutely fine. Saying, I've got a strong suspicion my husband is cheating on me. All the telltale signs are there, including photos. What should my first steps be to protect myself? I'm on his visa. have about 50,000 dirhams in my own account, but our savings are in a joint account. Thank you. Going to get Ludmilla's take on that next. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Ludmilla Yamalaba is with us live on the line. We've got lots of questions for you, Ludmilla, so we're going to try and help as many people as possible between now and five o'clock. No name on this message saying, hello, if I get a golden visa with a property, will it get recalled if I sell in three years' time? Interesting question. So right now, the law itself does not specify what happens once the property changes hands. But based on what we know uh, on the basis of the previous um, practice that existed in Dubai uh, for property investments uh, and that option. So the option of of having a property visa existed in Dubai before this new law came into effect. It wasn't so uh, available in other Emirates, but in Dubai did. In Dubai, that condition was attached to the continuation of the visa. So the visa, the property visa would uh, be cancelled once the property transferred hands. So the current law does not specify it, but I would not be surprised if the logic that had existed before would also apply to this new type of visa. And um, and honestly, we've attended, we've gone to the, the various immigration centers uh, in the last several weeks. And so they are still implementing these visas. And so they're still themselves looking and seeking clarification of how exactly it's going to be applied. So as we know more I'll certainly share those details. Thanks, Ludmilla. Um, Staying with visas, Leon asking, how can I extend my visa after termination and cancellation to find another job? Has this changed recently in terms of being easier for job seekers? uh, On paper, yes. And in practice, it's still it's still evolving. Uh, so right now, the best thing to do is you can always, you always could, even before the new law, apply for a visa extension. So you could extend it actually almost two times, up to 90 days. But the key is to extend it before your first expiration period um, ends or your, before your the 30-day grace period ends. Uh, so uh, if your visa canceled, you have 30 days um, to renew. So make sure on day 25 or at least and, and go and, and apply and pay for the renewal for the extension of the grace period, and you have the option of doing it twice, that's under the old practice. Mm -hmm. But as the new practice comes in and gets implemented, it should be easier to apply for a longer period outright. But again, that is also a work in progress. So for the time being, all I can offer you with certainty is that the practice that existed before, and that still applies. Okay, hope that helps. Um, anonymous message, oh, and all the very best, Leon, with the, with the job hunt. Um, you can be anonymous if you're getting in touch with us on the show today, or indeed any of our topics and experts. Truly the most important thing is connecting you with the experts, getting you the answers that you might need, peace of mind as well, and crucial information. So no name on this one, Ludmilla, saying, I have a strong suspicion my husband is cheating on me. All the telltale signs are there, including photos. What should my first steps be to protect myself and children? I'm on his visa, have about 50,000 dirhams in my own account, but our savings are in a joint account. Thank you. 
there's a few practical things. One is some basic things that a lot of people don't think about, especially when you're on your spouse's visa. It's things like your housing. So because the lease is, uh, you you either live in a property that's owned or, or a property that's rented, who is the party on the title deed or the, or the lease agreement? Because that ultimately may become an unpleasant situation, although I would like to believe, and based on experience, I, I'd like to maintain this still, that whenever kids are involved, the mother is not going to be left on the street and locked out of the house when the kids are involved. Uh, but that is one component. So if, if you, there's a possibility of, of either adding yourself to the, uh, to the lease uh, or the, the title deed, that's one uh, option to explore. Um, the other more basic one is phone lines, for example. So it's just a, something because often what happens for those spouses who are on their spouse's visas, um, that everything is under their spouse's sponsorship, including, for example, a phone bill. And so therefore, in that particular case, your spouse has the ability to disconnect your phone immediately. And that becomes a huge inconvenience. So I'd say that should be uh, your first priority. And these days you can just transfer the number to your uh, to your own account. Uh, so there's that. Then the bank account is very important because access to money is important, especially if you're not the, the breadwinner or you have not had your own independent income. Uh, so having your own personal income is great. If you have access to a joint account, joint account uh, in most cases is uh, it's, um, it's joint and several, which means that basically you have full access to the money that's in the account. Um, so it's it's for you to decide what you think is fair, to perhaps transfer uh, to your own personal account that is under your control, in particular, if you worry that this may uh, subject or affect your children. Uh, and uh, and then just prepare your documents, make sure you have copies of your marriage certificate, for example, basic things like this people don't have. Uh, details to various pass, uh, accounts, your passport uh, or password uh, and uh, other kind of in information to your personal kind of file, if you will. A lot of the times spouses don't have that. Uh, and just have your own files and your own documents uh, ready, uh, because if you do think that the husband is cheating and if you think this is a long term option or you, you irrespective, you may not want to put up with this. And then this is going to go to divorce. And once it goes to divorce, you need to be ready. And for that, you will need to have documents in your own possession. And you will need to have some of these money, access to money and some of these basic elements such as phone bill on your name. Ludmilla, thank you in terms of protecting protecting yourself in practical ways and emotional support as well. Of course, absolutely key. I really hope you're OK with this um, and all the very best moving forward. Ludmilla Malava is with us live until five. To take my questions but most importantly yours um, and we're getting them across all different different types of uh, types of areas of the law really one here saying is there a statute of limitations on sexual harassment cases a friend was fired for not providing services to a manager no witnesses the conversation was private face to face but she's been in therapy for years since after she was after she was fired what can she do and a concerned parent Ludmilla we're going to be coming to next saying please no name our 17 year old son came home last week with a tattoo a big one and not a very good one. The artist is in Dubai. He didn't ask for age or proof of ID. Can I report this? Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. We are helping you out with some free legal advice this afternoon. And when I say it's a busy hour on your radio, I'm really not exaggerating. Joining us now from HPL, Lamalava and Pluka is Ludmilla Yamalava, taking your questions anonymously if you prefer. Ludmilla, going to the text line... Um, anonymous message here saying asking for a friend is there a statute of limitations on sexual harassment cases a friend was fired for not providing services to her manager no witnesses because conversation was private face to face she's been in therapy after she was after she was fired four years ago what can she do so this uh, falls under the criminal uh, spectrum and statute of limitations differ between criminal and civil uh, so if it depends on the extent and extent, it depends on the extent of the sexual harassment, whether it would qualify as a misdemeanor or a felony. Uh, so if it is a misdemeanor, the statute of limitation is five years. If it is qualified as a felony, it would be 20 years. And so the nature means if it's, you know, it's verbal sort of abuse versus you know, more traumatic and physical abuse. So this is where the difference between felony and misdemeanor would come in. But ultimately, it comes down to the actual the circumstances of the offence. But so it's between five to 20 years. OK, I'm so sorry your friend went through this. Um, please, please do reach out. And 
please let him know <laughs> that you're exploring these avenues. I think. Uh, anyway, I'm not going to. I'm not going to misuse the platform for rage. Um, right. Let's go to this. Te- um, and I have to say, I'm so sorry, but this message really, really made me smile. And I'm desperate for a photo of this anonymous saying our 17 year old son came home last week with a tattoo, a big one and not a very good one. The artist is in Dubai, didn't ask for his age, proof of ID or anything. Is this illegal? Can I report it? Well, certainly you can report it and you can report it because so there's obviously two, two sides to the story. One is with regards to your son and, and him now carrying a tattoo, you know, and two is the, the perpetrator <laughs> of this heinous act. Uh, so um, uh, so the, the, the UAE's legal stance on tattoos, there's nothing in the law that says tattoos are illegal. However, there is no such trade license that uh, establishes tattoo parlors. In other words, there is no trade license for tattoo parlors, which by implication uh, and uh, interpretation, uh, it means that you cannot have a, a, a properly licensed tattoo parlor or tattoo salon because there's no such license. Therefore, whoever is conducting tattoos here could potentially, and I'd say there's a good chance if you wanted to report them for not so much perhaps administering tattoos, but rather administering or doing illegal business practices. Mm, charging for yes. said terrible and, art. And charging for them. So yes, you can report the, the artist for, for basically working without a, or without a proper license or under the wrong license. Uh, but uh, obviously that will not change the fact that your son carries a tattoo at this oh, point in time. I'm so- I bet that was a fun conversation around the dinner table. Um, genuinely, and I'm not, I'm, I do know, this is not for me, I do know someone who's really good at tattoo removal. So if you want that recommendation, follow up on 4001. I will send you her details. She's lovely. I've seen some pretty rubbish tattoos over the weekend by the pool, let me tell you that. Right, to the text line. Um, well, first of all, I've got a lovely message going. Helen, I just want to thank you and Ludmilla for the wonderful work you guys are doing. Really helpful. Super. Thank you. You are so, thank so you. welcome. Um, and a message here saying, thanks for the show. My husband is facing a situation at work where the company wants him to train another person to take over from him when he retires. But he is not retiring yet. They also want him to work half time, half pay. Are they allowed to do this? They brought in the excuse, oh, your medical is costing far more than other colleagues' medical. Of course it would be because we're older. What can he do? I'm also on his visa. Well, ultimately, the company can terminate the employee for, at any point in time for any reason. It just all, it becomes a matter of compensation. And compensation now, as per the new UE labor law, there's, it's a lot less punitive for a company to, to terminate an employee as it is for an employee to resign. So there's less, it's less punitive. However, it's not to say that there are no benefits, not benefits to be, uh, uh, to, to be collected at the end of your employment. Uh, so um, uh, so you, that's important to keep in mind that it's not, there's nothing illegal if the company wants to ultimately phase, phase the person out because they're aging or because they're costing the company money. It's a business reason and it's, you know, it's, it's a fair enough and valid reason under the UU law and they're not, they're not doing anything illegal. But what would matter for in this particular case for, for your husband uh, is that if he does go half pay and uh, half half time half time half pay, it will affect his end of service at the end. Mm-hmm. So what I would recommend, I mean, if that's the case, and the company, you know, ultimately the company wants to pay them out. I mean, you cannot change that. But what you can do is you can you can um, he should take his end of service payment up to this date, and the company can do that. So pay him end of service on the basis of current salary. And then switch to half pay, half time. So he can still continue to accumulate end of service, but on a different salary. But at least as of today, he will have gotten paid on his total salary. Okay, really good advice there. I think a few people have been stung um, in a situation like that. And like, "Mm, that wasn't, that's not what I've been told or what I was expecting. But as you say, if you've if you sign something, if something changes, then you're going to get what you're going to get. Let's squeeze in one last question. Um, and I think this is a really interesting one. I think a lot of families are facing this situation right now. My husband has been offered a job in Saudi. I work here, but on his visa and the kids are settled in school. Is it possible for us to stay here and for him to move? Absolutely. And in fact, um, I'm just trying to think so um First of all, if he if the family is here on his visa, and presumably it's because he has a company or he's he's employed by a company here, um, so it, it depends on the circumstances of his 
proposed transfer to Saudi. If it's the same company that's transferring to Saudi, it may be possible for the company to continue to keep him on the visa here and then, and then also apply for visa for him in Saudi. It is possible to do that. So if that is an option, then that will not ultimately affect the family. Uh, if that's not an option and he needs to transfer to a new visa in Saudi, what is possible to do in the UAE is to get a remote visa, for example, a remote, wor remote working visa. For the time being, that visa is offered for one year, but the, but the whole family would qualify. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that would be one option. The other option as well, if, if there's any other kind of investments or if there's property here, then they can ap apply for a property visa. And on the back of the property visa, the whole family could qualify for res uh, would qualify for UA residency. Similarly, if there's some other investments in the bank, for example, uh, you too would qualify, or uh, based on on that investment, you could qualify for an investment visa and once again have all the benefits of a full UE residency. Really hope that helps. All the very best with the move um, or the not move if you are staying put. Lamilia Malavet, always a pleasure, always so informative, and thank you. Um, I also thank enjoyed you. your witch's hat, it was phenomenal. Um, now, we've had a number of messages going, how to connect with Ludmilla, how can we get advice one-on-one -on -one with Ludmilla. Um, the best way of getting in touch is through the web website, Pluka. but she's very active on social media too. I'm expecting a, a good sorcery video, fully dressed up, please. Promise? You are expecting, yes, expectations will be fulfilled. You're a star. Thank you so, so much, Ludmilla Yamalava. Um, as I said, found across social media, but also here every single Monday from four o'clock. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Talking burnout this afternoon and burnt out was everywhere earlier in the pandemic, um, but it was supposed to get better as the most I guess, painful effects of the pandemic society. You know, when people could have that regular childcare, could see friends back in the office, eat out when fewer people were dying and the world would seem less bad. Then, then burnout would ease, the thinking went. Uh, that hasn't happened. In fact, reports of burnout are getting worse. To help us unpick this, and of course, most importantly, answer your questions, Dr. Abdul Salam Al-Kahim is with us, experienced specialist psychiatrist in the Emirates Hospital. Dr. Abdul, how are you today? How are your burnout levels, sir? Right. My burnout today, well, I'm, I'm trying to de-stress myself with some of my uh, distressing technique and doing some of my hobbies. So I'm not there yet. I'm not there now today. <laughs> I have I have good good burnt out days and and bad burnt out days. I was a little overwhelmed this morning when I accidentally drove to Global Village. That that wasn't my finest um, organisational moment. But I I mean I'm I'm fine to be honest. But a lot of people I speak to are on the edge and really seem incredibly overwhelmed and I wondered and, and, in, and in truth you know whenever I have experts on the show you know in, in the studio whether it is you know, physiotherapists or GPs psychiatrists psychologists and I ask you know well you know what's coming into clinic stress 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 what about you what are you seeing well you see uh, uh, Helen I, I, I have been as a psychiatrist you see a lot of depression you see a lot of there now but in the past, it was actually more restricted to certain career, more restricted to certain uh, jobs like mm. uh, health, like, uh, you know, uh, human activists, like human services. But now what you see, it's, it's more broader. Actually, you see uh, teachers coming good burnout. You see IT people, a tech industry, you see advertisement industry. People with the customer service coming to with a burnout. So, so it's I think one of the things which I've seen is a broader kind of uh, career rather than the our typical careers which they get there now that we know that they are high risk of burning out. What also I see here, Helen, it's uh, unfortunately they will come uh, not, uh, not not like uh, uh, within the burnout thing. They come after, after being burnout where they develop kind of uh, depression and uh, chronic and acute depression. So I see more intense and broader kind of people who are coming forward. My a, that is interesting because this is a study um, out of the US. It was Slack's Future Forum study. And they said some 43% of US office workers feel, quote, burnt out at work. Does that, does that figure ring true, 43% of people? I, I wouldn't. I, I, I actually 
would expect a more higher burnout mm. with with the climate after the uh, after the pandemic and some people now speaking about a recession coming. In fact, I, I think last uh, last week I, I've just an art, read an article in one of the British journal that about sixty eight percent of workers in NHS. Uh, had an annual leave due to stress-related conditions. Now, sixty-eight is, is a huge number. And now, for now, burnout was actually only formally recognised by the World Health Organisation in 2019. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that the years between then and now have uh, seen something of a spike. Um, not as an illness, but as you say, an occupational health phenomenon, which. Um, they say is resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. And it kind of combines, it talks about symptoms um, like feeling drained of energy, being less professionally effective, feeling cynical, negative, distant from your job. So the examples um, that I found are things like a nurse who's too jaded to feel for patients or a war correspondent who's too numb to atrocities um, in terms of examples. Um, but you're saying that actually, and those two are two very stressful jobs, um, th- this is becoming a bit broader now in terms of people that are affected. What about age groups, Dr. Abdul? What are we seeing in terms of people affected in that kind of demographic? Yeah, I, I think I, 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 the age group which attends my my clinic is uh, in 30, well, 27, uh, relatively young, onwards, basically, to 55, 60. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, Generation Gen Z um, do tend to be, you know, will raise to be more open about mental health. So they perhaps might find, I'm totally guessing here, might find it easier than perhaps older workers, you know, me being an elder millennial, the boomers, um, to those older generations might feel a bit more reluctant or embarrassed or unaware to admit to feelings of, of being overwhelmed, you know, being able to, to, to carry on. Was that, is that a fair assessment or are you seeing something different in clinic? This does not translate in my clinic. In fact, I see a lot of young uh, clients who comes to me telling me uh, the workplace is so toxic. I cannot take one day off. I cannot go on animal leave. I cannot, uh, I cannot tell my HR manager because what what I'm starting to see here is I'm starting to see like the beginning of Silicon Valley where this burnout company mm-hmm. they, they those people who does not the companies do don't don't want a kind of employee they want a a plus 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 employee they they actually some of them they will tell you no burnout is good actually they save us from firing the not good employee and actually, <laughs> how very yeah. how very darwin <laughs> um yeah. Abdul, can i put a question to you more of a comment that's come in anonymously on text line saying i understand burnout however it has has become easier to talk about it's being abused for some people to quit or not face challenges at work I think that's a really interesting point because work is work. There are going to be challenges. You're not there for an easy ride and then get paid at the end of you know at the end of the month. Um, do you feel like the perhaps is being a bit overused by some people who might want to avoid you know getting their getting their work done? Uh, I mean, uh, at times maybe, but but to tell you the truth, the, the vast majority, which I see, I'm, I'm talking about more than 80 percent who I see in my clinic, mm. they are not lack of talent. They are mm. not lack of uh, commitment. In fact, uh, there are there are a couple of uh, of things which you. The problem is that we we, we sometimes need to f- to fit the person into the job, and I think the, we should do the other way around. Mm-hmm. We should fit the job with the person rather than fitting the, the person in the job. Uh, I mean, like, uh, you know, the things like workloads. People, they have studied there now for a long time. And I think one of the doctors, uh, her name is Chris. In uh, Maslach, she is one of the lead of the world in, in the burnout, and she studied burnout in in a long, long in decades, and she found out there is a mismatch of things. There is a core things like workload uh, versus re- resources, control versus autonomy. You control in the work, other than to have an autonomy, an autonomy to, cre- to be created. 
being rewarded versus like you know and the reward is not only the big check the reward mm-hmm. also social reward yeah. uh, having a, a toxic com, uh, community with a, a lot of people comes to me telling me look there is a, a toxic com, uh, community inside my work and fairness and unfairness would that also a value i'm really sorry to to be alone here but what i'm trying to say is that people they can't tolerate some of this but if it is all together they will end up burning out mm-hmm. sooner or later and they will be less productive mm-hmm. than being uh, uh, what the the, employ, uh, the employers they want really Dr. Abdul, I'm keeping you with us because we have had um, a message that we're going to voice because this listener would like to be anonymous. Um, if you want to get in touch and share your thoughts on this, if you've got any concerns on the topic of burnout, you can be anonymous if you prefer. We'd be happy to read out a message to leave your name off. Makes no odds at all. We're also going to talk about diagnosis and treatment, plus going to the text line. Life Balance on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. Speaking now to specialist psychiatrist at Emirates Hospital, Dr. Abdul Salam Al-Hakim, who is taking my questions, but most importantly yours, on the topic of burnout. Um, We have had a number of messages, questions, um, and have a listen to this. Hi, Helen. I work at a company that focuses more on getting money into the company, whether it means overworking staff or promising unrealistic deadlines. And the only people that suffer is the staff. And we are very understaffed. We don't get paid for additional hours, and we are asked to compensate it by taking days in lieu. I have the hardest time trying to carve out a little time just for myself or my family. My health has been bad since June this year, and I can never seem to get it to stay stable for more than two days. I'm always tired, constant headaches, and other issues due to the lack of proper diet or sleep schedule. Desperately trying to switch jobs right now. Thank you for that. Dr. Abdul, I'm sure this is a very familiar story. You know, whenever I look at, you know, what can we do to avoid burnout? It's like, well, you meditate for an hour a day and you go, well, yeah, that sounds great. But I've also got, you know, in this case, a very demanding job, not enough time. Um, What do you find to be effective and, and what would you say to this listener? I, I would advise, really. I mean, like, we are so good about advising about resilience, about getting, stre- getting some strength, de-stressing yourself, eating healthy, sleeping healthy. I mean, like, but, but you know, taking some annual leave, do some exercise. But I, I, think, I think the main problem is not now. The main problem is upstream. The main problem is the job itself. Uh, I think uh, my advice would be for the hair employers rather than hair, I think they need to look into, if they want the productivity, then they need to look into the, their employee well-being, their employee burnout risk. And that, that's the, how this patient and the, 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 the business itself grows rather than this. But individually, I really struggle because I, what I have is about asking them to do some good eating balance, taking some off time, sleeping well, doing exercise. But if they are working a long hour, mm-hmm. they, they wouldn't have time to do all of that. No, that's right. But, and, you know, we're still in, when, you know, when it comes to jobs as well, you know, that listener saying, you know, desperate looking for a new job. Um, that's, that's, a tough thing to to be to be trying to navigate that job uncertainty or trying to put your best kind of foot and face forward in order to change those circumstances i know what you're saying it is absolutely a company problem i just don't think that many companies are that bothered i think they're you know they might say yes we do care about employee well-being but when it comes down to it they also want a job done and they want to get the money in and you know there are going to be casualties in mm. the process which what sounds like this listener is and a really interesting point here doctor that's been raised on the text line saying do mums burn out how can we get better if so, especially exhausted with three or more young kids? Absolutely, mums can get burnt out. Absolutely. My goodness, yes. Any insights for parents? Yes, indeed. I, I, in, in fact, I, I think what, what, what it could be for mum, because it's, their job does not end. No, too after right. they leave the office. Their job actually just probably will, will start when they get home again. So I, I think is striking a working life balance. They can go for so much, for so long, actually, with, with the hectic hours working. But at the end of the day, if they don't get a really good job 
life balance, they will burn out and they will burn out very quickly. Uh, I, I, m- many of my uh, of, of my actually uh, clients who come to my to clinic saying like, uh, really, we we just need some time with our kids, mm-hmm. sometimes to look after them, sometimes to entertain them, and we didn't find. And then when we get annual, when we get offset. We find out the right is not only about our job, but we are missing a lot to do with our kids. And I think for, you know, mums who aren't working outside of the home, you know, they're at home with the, the kids all day. That's the job that doesn't end. You know, I often come to the office for a bit of a break from my kids and it's a bit of a headspace. But for those who perhaps don't have help and there is no, quote unquote, escape from the noise and the questions and the demands and, you know, I love my kids more than I can say but my goodness that is the toughest job it really really is and one thing that I mean I can only share my experience um but when I was at home a lot more than I am now asking for help was key and I felt like I I was worried about being perceived as a bad mother for needing a bit of time away from the kids and that is absolutely not the case you know whether it is your husband having a more hands-on role being able to pay someone to come in and take some responsibilities off your plate don't underestimate your stress you're under even though you're not in paid employee I agree totally with you, Helen. In fact, one of the things is some moms they feel guilty if they, if, if they, for example, delegate some job for uh, the nanny or the dad to look after the kids. But I, I would encourage them to do so because uh, you know it's a, they cannot uh, look after their job. Look, look even after their kids twenty four seven. They need the help. Yeah, you cannot you cannot pour from an empty cup, and we always come back to that. Very cliched uh, kind of vision of, you know, you always put your own oxygen mask on before someone else is on the plane. And that is true. You can't look after your kids. You can't look after your family unless you're taking care of you. Dr. Abdul, we've run out of time. I haven't run out of questions. I'd love to explore this further. So thank you so much for your time. Really, really do appreciate it. And I think hopefully, as you say, things will change in, in some companies. It might not change in others, but you know, we can control what we can control. And I think um, reaching out for help when you need it is a really, really big part of that. Dr. Abdul, really appreciate your time. Thank you. I'm speaking to us from Emirates Hospital there as a specialist psychiatrist. And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.